Hey, I want to welcome you to podcast number 27. Today, I want to talk about Christmas, and I hope you're excited about this Christmas time. I don't know about you, but I, I love the sights and smells and the sounds of, of Christmas. I love the way Stephanie decorates our home. I, I love being with family and friends. I know we've got a lot this year that's working against Christmas. I know we got a lot in the political world. I know we got a lot with the uh, you know, the health departments and, you know, Dr. Fauci and other people who are warning us, don't get together, don't, don't hug. I mean, even don't hug people is basically what we're told. No hugs. And be careful about having X number of people and being around older people. And, you know, it's just, it's different this year. And I understand that. But Christmas is the same. The meaning's the same. You know, it's just a wonderful time to think about how God moves and how God cares. And how God does things with meaning. You know, I think about I think about even Joseph and Mary when they're up in Nazareth and Mary's pregnant. She's been told that she would conceive of the Holy Spirit and and Joseph's been informed as to what happens. He takes her as his wife and they're living up in Nazareth. But according to Micah five two, that the baby the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, which is you know five miles south south of Jerusalem, and it's about ninety miles from Nazareth. And so it's getting closer and closer to time for Mary to give birth, and she's still up in Nazareth. So what, what does God do? Well, he moves upon the heart of Caesar Augustus for Caesar Augustus to issue a decree that all the world should be taxed. So that means that Joseph has to go with his wife down to his ancestral city of Bethlehem because he's of the house and lineage of David. So that means in the third trimester of her pregnancy, Mary has to travel with her husband Joseph, and they go to Bethlehem getting Joseph from point A to point B so that Mary would be with him and Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. You know, that's just a simple detail, but when you think about that, Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time, God uses him to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth down to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 from the Old Testament. A prophecy had been given that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and Man, God's going to do what he has to do to make that happen. So you see how God is in control. But yet at the same time, you see Jesus is born in a manger. He's laid to rest in a manger, a feeding trough. And the people that are invited to come witness the birth of Jesus as he's just been born are the shepherds. Now that day, the, 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 the reputation of the shepherds, it was not all that great. Matter of fact, some would say that they could not give a testimony in a court of law. Some viewed shepherds as being dishonest. Uh, they were considered by some of the religious community as being ceremonially unclean, and so they could not participate in worship there at the temple. But here they are out in, their, in the fields watching over the flocks by night, and an angel appears to them and tells them that something really good's happened. They need to come see. And then there's all these angels singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so they go to Bethlehem to see what the angel has said, and and there they find the babe lying in a manger, just like the angel said. And Mary and Joseph, they're there having just given birth, and all of a sudden these shepherds show up, and they're saying, you know, like, angels told us to come see your baby. It's like, whoa, incredible event. And we know that probably for the first year and a half or so, Joseph and Mary, they stayed there in Bethlehem, and Jesus you know, starts to grow, and uh, so... About a year and a half later or so, getting close to two years later, the wise men come from the east. Now, remember, the wise men were not at the manger. They were, they're were they not in the nativity. It makes it look good for plays. It makes it look good for your yard display. But we know that they weren't there. Because Mary and Joseph 
are in a house at this time. But what happens is that these these wise men, these magi, come from the east. Now, they came from what's known as the Parthian Empire. It used to be the Babylonian Empire, then the Persian Empire, now it's the Parthian Empire. They were a very strong empire to the east. Matter of fact, Rome could never conquer the Parthian Empire. And you had Rome to the west, and uh, Galilee, Samaria, Judea, Perea, that whole area with Je- where, where Jesus would live and travel, that was kind of a buffer zone between the Parthian Empire and the Roman Empire. And these magi, they were, you know, a, a high class of individuals. They were considered by some to be kingmakers. They were experts in astrology, astronomy, mathematics, history. Uh, they were just kind of these, I don't want to call them renaissance men, but they they were very well-rounded, very educated, very powerful, very influential men from the East. And they come and they show up at Herod's place. And they say, we want to see he, the one that's been born king of the Jews. Now, you have to understand around, you know, 35 to 40 years before this time, Herod had been declared to be king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. Uh, he had put down a, a rebellion in that area, and the Roman Senate had, de- Senate had, de- had declared him to be the king of the Jews. They had, he might, I don't know if he had a certificate on the wall or a plaque on the wall or what, but he was, he was deemed to be king of the Jews, given that title by the Roman Senate. And we know that Herod was very paranoid. As a matter of fact, Herod had his wife killed. He had his two, son, two of his sons killed. He had his brother-in-law drowned. He had his mother-in-law killed. He had, uh, I think it was 45 members of the 70-member uh, Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish council, had 45 of them killed. Anybody that was viewed as a potential rival was killed. He, he, was, he was that paranoid about his power. So here comes these kingmakers from the east, from a rival empire, and they said, we want to see the one that's been born king of the Jews. So you can see why in Matthew chapter 2 it says, Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Because if, if Herod's troubled, we know that when he's troubled, somebody doesn't make it alive. You know, somebody dies. So everybody's kind of troubled because Herod's troubled. So he gets the religious scholars of the day together. He says, okay, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, well, according to prophecy, in Bethlehem. And so he tells the wise men, he says, also that when you find that child, come back and tell me so I can go worship him. Well, the wise men leave and they come. Jesus is with Mary and Joseph in a house and, and they present these gifts to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know that gold was for his royalty and frankincense, that, that, that was for his deity. And myrrh was symbolic of the death that he would suffer, that he was mortal. So he's royal. Uh, he's divine and yet he's mortal. It sounds like me. It's it's the incarnation, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. That's who Jesus was. And so they present these gifts to him, and then they're warned by the angel of the Lord not to go back through Herod, and so they go back home another way. And then Joseph is awakened at night, and and the Lord instructs him, lets him know. Herod wants to destroy the child. And so Joseph has to get Mary and Jesus, and he goes to the south, to Egypt. Herod, when he realizes uh, that the wise men didn't come back to tell him where the child was, he has all the male children two years of age and younger in Bethlehem. He had them all put to death. And Joseph and Mary and Jesus head down toward Egypt. Now, many believe that the, the gifts that the wise men gave to 
Jesus that Joseph used those kind of liquidated them probably to in order to sustain the family while they're down in Egypt. I mean, you go on a trip and you're expected to be gone for about two or three weeks or however long, and you wind up being gone for months. Yeah, I mean, you need some, you need some, some cash. You need some resources, and so many believe that he did use the gifts that they were used to sustain the family during that time. And eventually, they come back up, uh, and go back to Nazareth. And of course, that's where Jesus would be raised. But see, all this is to say, the the Christmas story, the events surrounding the birth of Christ, they just show that God is in such control. That God controls a Caesar Augustus. That God informs wise men about the coming Messiah. You say, well, how, how would those wise men from the East, how would they have known to come? Well, you got to remember that a lot of Jews spent a lot of time in, in that part of the world. They were actually taken into captivity. Uh, you know, you had people like, like Daniel. You, you had Ezekiel over there. But, you know, particularly Daniel, at one time he had been head of all the Magi. Remember he interpreted the, uh, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar? And he was made to be head of all the, the Magi. Also, previously in Jewish history, uh, Balaam, you know, Balaam and Balaam's donkey, that guy had prophesied about a star rising up out of Judah and that there was some belief that probably the wise men had access to the prophecy that had been made by Balaam as well. So God had let them know, these wise men from the east, he had let them know that the Messiah had been born, and they show up. So all this happens. It, you know, you think about Jesus being born in such obscurity. And in spite of being born, you say obscurity? Yeah, I mean, because when you're born and you're laid, they, they put you in a feeding trough for your bed? That's, that's obscurity. And you're already in the small town of Bethlehem. But it's just... God works in incredible, incredible ways. And you, you see him, you know, all that he does, I mean, there's fulfillment of Scripture, even going down into Egypt and being called up out of Egypt and then being raised in Nazareth, it's being born in Bethlehem. See, it's amazing to me God calls the shots. And, you know, even living the day in which we live today, you look at prophecy in the Old Testament and prophecy in the New Testament, you look at what's spoken of about the end times, and you see some of this stuff happening. And sometimes you scratch your head and you think, okay, is, is, this, is this how it all comes together? Or will it be a little bit later? Or, But you see players being put in place. And you know, well, God controls the flow of nations. God controls human history. And yet, in all of this, God provides salvation. And let me just tell you this. When Jesus came to this earth, he took on human flesh. And in that human flesh, he never sinned in word, thought, or deed. He lived a perfect, sinless life, 33 years. Of course, he was eventually crucified on a Roman cross. And when he was crucified on the cross, the Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is, when Christ was on the cross, all of our sin was placed upon him who had never sinned. Christ never sinned, yet our sin was placed upon him. He was a perfect sacrifice. And with our sin being placed upon Christ, Christ died. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Therefore, the sin debt being death, Christ paid on our behalf. He could pay it because he was a sinless sacrifice. And so that's why when somebody 
receives Christ, you receive salvation as a gift. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. When you receive Christ and what he did on your behalf, you become a child of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, we're told in Ephesians 2. So it's the gift of God. So you receive a gift. And, you, and salvation is, is not a goal to achieve, it's a gift to receive. And you receive that gift. Because Christ in human flesh totally fulfilled the law of God, never did anything wrong. And yet our sin was laid upon him as he was the perfect sacrifice. He was, the Bible would call him the Lamb of God. It was the fulfillment of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And so our sin debt was paid when Christ suffered death on the cross. And we know he was buried, he was resurrected from the grave on the third day, and he ascended back up into heaven. And one day he is coming back. And if you look in your newspaper, you may not read the newspaper anymore. If you look uh, on, your, on your iPhone, look on your computer, get on the Internet, you can see the signs of the times. This stuff is unfolding just like Scripture said. So we know that Christ, He came the first time in fulfillment of Scripture. He will come the second time in fulfillment of Scripture. The first time was a coming of grace. The second time will be a coming of judgment. So I just want to encourage you, if you've never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, man, Christmas time is a wonderful time to do it. There's your gift. Greatest gift you could ever be is the gift of the forgiveness of your sins. The gift of salvation. It is your gift to receive. If you've never done it, you just simply ask God to forgive you for your sins and believe that Christ died on the cross on your behalf and, and receive the gift that He's given you, the, the payment for your sin. You've got to receive that by faith. And I want to encourage you to do that. If you've never done it, I'm just going to pray a prayer right now. Lord, I know that I've sinned. I know I've done things that are wrong. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross on my behalf. That he paid my sin debt for me. And, and I receive the payment that he made on my behalf. I receive that by faith. And I thank you for salvation. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me tell you this. Words, just words don't save you. But if you, if you pray that and you mean it, Man, the Bible talks about being born again. About having your names written in the Lamb's book of life. About being saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternity, separated from God. In a place called hell. You don't want to be there. That's why salvation is so good. That's why Christmas is such an incredible time of year. Hey, if, if, you, if you've prayed that prayer, and I, I, I want to rejoice with you. You can email me off the Marty McLean podcast. Get in, in touch with a local pastor who believes the Bible. Get involved in a local church. Uh, tell somebody about what you've done. All right? God bless you. Thank you for being with me today on the Marty McLean Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week and have an incredible Christmas. See you next time.